One of my favorite parts of the Christmas season really is marveling at the Christmas lights. I love to look at the beautiful twinkling lights that adorn our homes and even our Christmas trees. And that's one thing I've actually missed living in Abu Dhabi is you don't see that here. The occasional house that has lights on is for a wedding. So it's, it's not for Christmas. And so I have missed driving around different neighborhoods and just admiring the Christmas lights. But in our home, we have plenty of them. And I love to just sit and just, just kind of gaze at the lights. And, and for me, it's more than just because they're festive or decorative. They are, but it's more than that. Christmas lights are meant to be symbolic. See, we live in a world that, if we're honest, is just shrouded in darkness. We are desperate for the light. Now, why do I say that our world is dark? Well, just look around. Just watch the news. What do you see? You see violence. You see depression. You see families that are torn apart by divorce. You see corrupted governments that oppress and abuse their people. You see injustice. You see poverty, homelessness. You see refugees fleeing from oppression. I mean, this is the 21st century. And yet, ancient Israel, so say about 700 years before Jesus was born, was no different. Different era, of course, but same realities, same brokenness and darkness that we see today. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah was running in the 8th century B.C., again, seven centuries before Jesus was born. And the Holy Spirit inspired Isaiah to write prophecies, to write promises that God was revealing through the prophet that would then come true with the coming, the birth of Messiah, the birth of Jesus. Now, if you look in Isaiah chapter 8, if you have your Bibles, please turn there. It describes a people that were seized by uncertainty. Now, I could describe all the different reasons why in the historical context, But that's a long story that we can talk about a different day. The point here is that there was political uncertainty. There were enemies on the horizon. There there was a lot of anxiety and uncertainty about the future. That was the 8th century world that Isaiah was writing. So again, what you had was people that were in darkness and, and fearful and uncertain. Again, not that different from today. In chapter 8, verses 19 and 20, say that the people were going to mediums and magicians. And so they were trying to find hope and, and trying to find answers and trying to find salvation from the enemy by going to mediums and and sorcerers, magicians, trying to divine the future. And so God had told them not to do that. This was not a practice that was for the people of God to do. This is witchcraft. And they were doing that to to try to find a sense of hope. 
And then if you read, again, Isaiah chapter 8, verse 22, again, the same context, what you see at the end of the chapter says, and they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. So they were looking to the earth for answers, for hope, and for meaning. 200 years later or so, you would have King Solomon who would write about looking under the sun on the earth, and it was all vanity of vanities. Well, this was Isaiah writing even before Solomon who was saying, no, it is looking to the earth is empty. And so what they were looking for, whether or not they realized it, is they were needing to dispel the darkness, and they were trying to do it in their own wisdom. And so they're looking to the other realities under the sun. Here it says, looking to the earth. And if we're honest, today's no different. You ask pretty much anyone, and they'll agree to you that the world has problems, that the world is broken, or the world is dark. Things need to be corrected or fixed. And so what are the solutions? Well, the politicians who lead our various governments will tell us that the solution is what? Better education. If we can just improve our educational system, then our country is going to be just fine. Or say, oh, no, no, what we need is more accessible health care. So everyone is promising to improve health care and to make it more accessible to everyone. Say, say, no, 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 the answer is more organic farming. If we could just have healthier food that, that isn't all, you know, ruined by, by big farming and the industrial revolution has, has polluted our, our food sources. So we, we need to get back to, to organic farming. So say, no, 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 we need political reform. Some say, no, it has to be more capitalistic. Some say, no, 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 it needs to be more socialistic. So it depends on who you talk to. But they say, no, the, the, the solution is in, in reforming the economy. No, it has to be stronger markets. And so these solutions are endless, but in the end, the world is not being fixed. We're still in darkness. Our world tells us if we can just have more intelligence and more innovation, more technology, then we will solve all of these problems and have world peace. But through diplomacy and innovation, the reality is that we are no closer to ending the darkness that we live in. Much like the Israelites looking to the earth for wisdom and to find the light. And for us, 21st century, now for all of our technology and all of our advancements, the world is still dark. Marriages are still broken. People are still being trafficked and abused. People still contract diseases. This is still happening. And Isaiah chapter 8, verse 19 says, Should not a people inquire of their God? So he's asking a rhetorical question on what well, should be an obvious answer. 
Should God's people not inquire? Should they not seek their God in, in their struggle, in their pain, in their problems, in their brokenness? Should they not look to their God? And so God was just heartbroken and seeing his people in darkness and not looking for the light to him, but they're looking for the light on their own. What they needed then and what we need today is the light that only God can bring. That's what we need. And Isaiah chapter 9 verse 1 picks up the same thing and is promising that one day a glorious light will shine on a broken people in darkness. And this is people of all nations, it says in Isaiah 9.1. People of all nations will have God shining his light on them and healing them and redeeming them and restoring them to their original design of knowing and enjoying God forever, living in his presence, which is why this series in December is called God with us, that God wants to come and meet us. And Jesus came, and my prayer is that this Christmas you will truly experience the presence of Jesus. Let's read the text for today with all of that context said. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 7. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. And as they are glad with, they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Praise God. This is the promise that we cling to, that we celebrate, that gives us hope. This is all pointing to Messiah, pointing to Jesus. The true meaning of Christmas is what we read here, that the light has dawned. In our darkness, a light has shone. And Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the King, Jesus is the light. And the message of Christmas is that God himself has reached down to save us and to bring us close to him. Let me give you three truths from this powerful text. Three truths about Christmas. Number one, Christmas. This time we, we celebrate Christ coming. It points to the truth that, number one, that Jesus dispels the darkness. And so one truth that we're celebrating is that Jesus dispels, he pushes back the darkness. Verse two, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. 
those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. So Jesus is the light that has come into the world to push back the darkness. And Jesus alone can dispel our darkness. And the reason is that the cause at its root, the reason why we have our darkness in our world is because of evil. And so the cause of our darkness is evil. And we cannot deny the reality that people hurt one another, that they exploit one another, they betray one another, that we lay each other down, that suffering and evil exists in our world. And evil causes us to be spiritually blind. And we don't even oftentimes see what we're doing or how we're living. We don't see our attitudes and we don't, we don't see that we're walking in blind darkness. And we can't find the light. It's too dark. We can't cure our evil And we can't end suffering on our own. So hear me. If you watch uh, sappy Christmas movies, and I I enjoy them with a hot cocoa or a cup of coffee like like others do too. Don't judge me. My wife likes them too, guys. So if you watch enough of these movies, what will happen is you will begin to believe that the message of Christmas is just cheer up. If we all just work together, we can fix this world and we can end suffering. I mean, that's what our world says the Christmas message is. But that is not the message of Christmas. It's not. It's not cheer up, work together, and we can spread goodness across the world. That's not the message of Christmas. The message of Christmas is the world is dark. And there is suffering. And there is pain. And things really are that bad. And we can't heal ourselves. We can't save ourselves. We can't change ourselves. And things are bleak. Nonetheless, there is This is the message of Christmas. And and Isaiah 9, 2 captures it. Those living in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has dawned. This is worth celebrating. This is taught in the New Testament as well. We read it earlier in John chapter 1, where it says, The true light, this is Jesus, The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and yet the world did not know him. And so sadly, not everyone recognized the light, but Jesus is the light. He came into this dark world to give us his light. And so he came to cure the evil. He came to end the suffering. He came to do what we can't do. What we, we say Christmas is about, oh, it's just these good feelings, but we can't do it on our own. We can't. That's why Jesus came to end our suffering. 
and to give us far more than just an emotional high on a holiday, but to transform our lives to save us from our sin. And you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. And so when we think about Jesus being the light, I want you to keep in mind that, that the sun, now not Jesus the sun, but like the star that gives our planet light, the sun, is a very powerful symbol for light. It's important because we think about it, this planet without the sun would be a dark, frozen, lifeless planet. But because of the sun, now there are tremendous implications that come with it. So let me give you two thoughts. With Jesus coming as the light, why this is important. So the significance, the meaning, Jesus coming as the light. Number one is that the light reveals truth. That's the first thing here that we see, is that Jesus coming as the light means that the light reveals truth. Just like the sun exposes that which can hide in darkness, the light exposes what is lost or missing. So let me give you an example. If you are out at the desert and, and you're camping and, and you've had your campfire and you've had your s'mores and you're trying to pack up to go home, hopefully you don't get stuck in four-wheel drive. And, but suppose your campfire is out and it's really dark outside, and then, but you can't find, say, your keys. You drop them somewhere in the sand. And so now you're panicking because you, it's dark and there's just sand. And so there you are with your flashlight walking around trying to find your lost keys. And likely you're going to have to sleep in your car because you're probably not going to find them with a the little flashlight. But then come morning, you will likely find them much easier. That which is lost and hidden in the darkness when, when the sun shines and there's light, now it's exposed. Now the truth is revealed. And so just like the sun lights up our world, Jesus comes and lights up our world, our lives. He exposes us for who we are. We're the ones that are lost. And we struggle with our addictions and sinful habits and Oftentimes, we're so blind, we don't even see the truth. But through the power of his spirit, Jesus, the light, opens our eyes and we can see. We can see clearly what our sin is. With no more denying or minimizing or blaming others for our problems, Jesus shines on us and then we can see the truth. We come face to face with our sin and then we can repent of it. And run back to him. We need to come face to face with the reality that we are sinners in the hands of an angry God. But we also can see that God's holy anger was poured out on Jesus. See, Jesus paid the price and offers us forgiveness. That well-known carol that we sung earlier this morning says it well. Hark! which means, listen up, pay attention. Hark, the herald angel sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations 
rise. So all nations, including here in this gathering, people from all different nations, we can all joyfully have hope and rise up. Why? Because our king is born, there is peace on earth, and it says what? God and sinners reconciled. That gives us hope. That is the meaning of Christmas. God and sinners reconciled. God himself came, the light, Jesus, to dispel the darkness, to reveal to us our need for him. And so the light reveals truth, but the light also gives life. I mentioned this earlier, that the sun gives life. And so without the sun, this planet would have no life. We just wouldn't. And that's the same thing for us spiritually. Due to our sin, we are spiritually dead. So apart from the work of Jesus, the human heart is completely spiritually dead. So it's unfeeling and unresponsive to spiritual realities. And so someone who does not know Jesus, now that person is spiritually dead, but they do feel things, they do feel emotion, not denying. They're not robots, they're lost spiritually, but they still have feelings. And they have desires, no one's denying that, that they want things. But being dead spiritually means that they have no capacity to feel a passion for the truth and the glory of Jesus. They love lots of things, but they do not love Jesus and do not want him or his glory and don't desire him. And so we are spiritually dead apart from the work of the Spirit. We are self-focused, enslaved to our idols with no lasting joy, with no meaning and no hope. There's only death and darkness, which is why we celebrate Christmas, that Jesus came to give life, to give a spiritual life for the new birth so that we can be made new with new hearts, hearts of stone now become hearts of flesh, to come out of our darkness and into his marvelous light. This is why Jesus came, so we can walk in the light in truth and glorify him with their thoughts, desires, and actions. And so the first truth here is that Jesus is the light. And as the light who is dispelling the darkness, he reveals truth and he gives life. So what is the result of this? What happens when he does this? Verse 3, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. There's a theme there. Joy. There is joy. Jesus brings light. He exposes our need for him. We run to him. He gives us life, and then that produces joy. There is rejoicing. Why we sing joy to the world? The Lord is Do you have joy? I really mean that. Don't answer it out loud. But to yourself, ask yourself, do I really enjoy my life? 
Don't answer too quickly. Ponder it. Do you really enjoy the life that God has given to you? Is your life marked by a deep, soul-satisfied joy? Now, maybe you're thinking, how can I possibly have joy in my life when my life is so hard? There's so much uncertainty or things just aren't right. Man, I'm in a dark place in my life right now. You don't know what I'm going through. Well, that's true. I don't pretend to know all that you're going through. But your God does. He knows. And he cares. He made you and he deeply loves you. He is with you. He will not forsake you. He is your rescue. He will not fail you. You have to, no one believe this. God wants you to have true joy, deep, meaningful life, and Christmas proves it because Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. He is God in the flesh who came to rescue us and to push back that darkness. And so this Christmas, you have to know this. You are loved. You are precious to your God. And it doesn't matter what you're struggling with or how dark it might seem. Jesus is the light, and he wants to come into your life and light it up and shine on you, and you can experience his presence. Will you depend on him? Will you entrust your soul to him? Will you allow Jesus to shine on you so that he can expose your sin? Let him reveal to you the areas in your life that are keeping you from him. Let him shine and expose that sin And then will you have the courage to not run away from the light, but rather run to the light and repent of that sin and trust in Jesus, whether today for the first time or the thousandth time. Run to him afresh with repentance and just fall into his arms and let him just love you. He is the light that is pushing back darkness. He dispels the darkness. Number two, secondly, Christmas points to the truth that Jesus delivers his people. So number one, Jesus dispels the darkness. Number two, Jesus delivers his people. Verse four promises that God will give his people freedom. It says the rod of the oppressor you have broken. So God has broken the rod of the oppressor. Symbolic of, of the rod is a tool that was being used to oppress God's people has been broken. So the power of oppression is broken. Verse 5 then promises peace. It describes all the military equipment from boots and bloodied clothes from the battlefield. So all of the military equipment, it says, will be burned as fuel for the fire. There's no more need for military equipment. There's no more need for nuclear weapons. There's no more need... For a military, no more need. The day will come. That day is coming. 
There's going to be no more need for that. Why? Because Jesus will be ruling and his people will be delivered from the oppression. And so Christmas shows us, here's the timeless truth, that Jesus delivers his people. See, and this same message that the angels proclaimed the night that Jesus was born, they said, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Peace on earth. That's coming. Now, the word for peace is shalom, which refers to the state of all things being in harmony with God's holiness. And so shalom, peace, again, being in a state of, of harmony with God being holy. And so God is a king. He is holy. He's a creator. He has the authority. He bought us. He made us. And so we are meant to live under his authority, enjoying him, adoring him. And when we live in harmony with God being holy, that is peace. That is shalom. The problem is that we are rebels. We're the problem. That we rebel against a God who loves us. Then we don't want him to be in charge. We don't want his authority. We don't want to trust his plan. We want to dictate and define his plan for us and define our lives and what it looks like and go our own way and define it for ourselves. We want autonomy. We don't want to be under God's authority. And it's because we rebel against God. Now that creates disharmony. Now there's no peace, no shalom. And so we think to ourselves that we want to be free from God. But remember, you were created, you were designed to be dependent on God. And so to want freedom from God is going against your design. So when you say, I want freedom from God, that's like saying, I want freedom from breathing air. I want freedom from having to eat food. I want freedom from wanting to be happy. You can't get freedom from eating food or breathing air. That's your design. You can't be free of that. You would die. And so when we want freedom from God, it's the same thing. We're going against our design. It's not possible. We are dependent creatures. You're made to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. What we need is freedom from our idols that will enslave us. We need freedom from our selfishness. We need freedom from our anxiety, our fears, our worry, our anger, our sinful habits and attitudes. We need freedom from all of that. And that's why Jesus came. He paid the price, removed our guilt, so we can have peace with God have hearts that are transformed so that we want to submit and we want to obey. And God the Son came to set us free, be satisfied in him, to live for his glory with increased holiness. So you know what freedom is? Here's freedom. Freedom is wanting to obey God. That's freedom. Wanting to, having a heart that yearns to, desires to obey God. Now, there's kids with us this morning because we didn't have our kids' classes, and so I'll talk to the kids just for a minute here this morning. 
Now, children, is it hard sometimes to obey your parents? Yes, I see a lot of head nods saying yes. Yes, it is. Now, imagine if every single time that your parents gave you an instruction, you wanted to do it. Like if they said, oh, eat ice cream for dinner, you're like, oh, no problem obeying that instruction. Or stay up late and you don't have to clean your room, I'll clean it for you. And you can watch movies. Like imagine if, if every single time that you were given an instruction, you wanted to obey, guess what would happen? You would never have conflict in your home. You would never get in trouble. You would never get a spanking. Because you wanted to do it. Now, as parents, we know that we're not perfect. And there are times that we give instructions without grace. That sometimes we're too harsh in our discipline, or we lose our patience, or we snap at our kids. And so as parents, we have to be honest that oftentimes we are not perfect parents. And yet, God has given us authority over children. And so children in the room, whether your parents are perfect or not, of course they're not, you are still called to obey them. And when you do, it will go well for you. Even if the instruction is not what you want, you still obey. See, here's the beauty of what Jesus has come to do, to change your heart so that whenever God gives you an instruction, you want to do it. Even if it's something that in the past you would never have wanted to do, like walk in purity. Maybe once upon a time you would never have thought that were possible. You never would have even wanted to walk in purity. And yet, God has changed your heart. Well, now you actually want to do that. And you will fight against your lust. Because you not want it. Or imagine if, if you want to be generous and give your, of your money. Maybe in the past you were very greedy and you would have never wanted to give. And now you're following Jesus and you find yourself like strangely wanting to give money away. You now want to do the things that God commands. That is freedom. That is peace. You're going to have peace with God because your heart is being conformed to what he desires and commands. This will increase your holiness. This will increase your witness for Christ. It will improve your relationships. But most of all, it will display the glory of God in and through your life. Are you walking in freedom? Are you walking in victory? Are you walking in the light? If you're not, the solution is to focus your mind and your heart on Jesus through word and the prayer with others holding you accountable. This work together, following Jesus together. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 17 and 18 says that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where there is a spirit who is active, there is freedom. He frees us. And then he says, by beholding the glory of God, we are being transformed. So as we behold, as we look to Jesus, the Spirit 
frees us of our selfishness and our hearts want more of Jesus. We want to obey. So if you want to experience freedom, remember why Jesus came. He came to deliver you from your sin, to give you a new heart that beats fast for him. So Jesus came to dispel our darkness, but he also came to deliver us. Number three, Christmas points to the truth that Jesus displays his perfections. Christmas points to Jesus displaying his infinite perfections. Verses six and seven, same verse we read earlier. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Amen. God promises that one day a child would be born to fulfill his purposes, that this child would be human, born of a woman, a child, a person, not something else, but a human being, the one to rule over God's people as the king. And it says, his government of peace, there will be no end. So he's going to rule forever. So this human child will live forever and will rule forever. This is no ordinary baby. This is very different. This child would be Messiah, the anointed one, the king, the savior of the world. And 700 years later, this promise came true. Jesus, who is God in flesh, God with us, Emmanuel, Jesus was born. And then you have these four titles that describe his character. And they were a beautiful display of his perfections. He's called Wonderful Counselor. The word wonderful refers to doing something that is difficult or impossible or even miraculous. So it's not too hard for him. So his counsel refers to his wisdom. And so we can trust the counsel, the wisdom of Jesus. He is never confused. He always knows exactly what to do and when to do it. He is trustworthy. He is a wonderful counselor who can do the impossible. We can rest in him. So he's your wonderful counselor. But number two, it says he is mighty God. And so Jesus is God. This child would be God, all-wise, all-powerful. And so we ought to fall before him in humility and awe because this child, Messiah, is worthy of our worship. He's called Everlasting Father. And so Messiah, Jesus, is, the, is God the Son. And so Jesus shares the same nature as God the Father. This is not confusing father and son because God the Son is distinct from God the Father. This is pointing to Jesus, but he is called everlasting father because he shares the same nature of God the Father. He is 
God. And by father is referring to authority as the patriarch. And so Jesus has ruling authority who shares the nature of God the Father. He is creator, sustainer. He is everlasting father. He is prince of peace. So he is royalty. So his kingdom is marked by something of peace. And so his kingdom is marked by peace. This is what he's about. He's about peace. And he offers us true peace. Shalom, being at peace with God. So now that we have meditated on what this text means, let's put all the pieces together and come to the primary truth. We'll look at here at the end here, so at the beginning today. So the main idea is we can all experience true joy because Jesus, the light of the world, has come. That's what we see here in Isaiah 9, 2 through 7. We can all experience true joy because Jesus, the light of the world, has come. And it says that God is excited to do this. He loves his work. God's not like us. But sometimes we have work to do. We're like, oh, they go to work today. I want to call in sick. No, 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 no. God never calls in sick. God is never tired of his work. God is zealous for his work. He, is, he loves to do what he does. It says the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He's zealous, excited about his purposes and what he's doing. God is excited about you. He's excited about saving you and transforming you and giving you joy so you can reflect his glory through your life. And so God is zealous. Are you? Are you a zealous person? Or have you lost your zeal? What's going on inside? you've lost it. What happened? Where are you looking to be satisfied? And what, what do you get excited about? That's a good question to ponder. Because you're likely zealous for something. What is it? Is it for Jesus? His kingdom? Or something else? And if you're finding yourself not very zealous for the things of God, what you need is a fresh experience of the presence of Jesus. And may you experience him this Christmas. May you see him in all of his glory and beauty all over again. See, our world tells us that Christmas is about giving and sharing and bringing people together. We can't, not in our own power. We have no hope of accomplishing that for ourselves. But our God sent his son so that we can live lives that reflect his character. And so what we see with Jesus coming is he dispels the darkness. He delivers his people and he displays his perfection. And with faith in him, empowered through his spirit, focusing on his word and in prayer with your brothers and sisters, encouraging along the way, we can see our lives changed. And we will then be able to extend true mercy and kindness to others to honor our God. So no matter what you're facing today, you have 
Jesus is our wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And Christmas reminds us that those living in the land of deep darkness, on them a light has dawned. Will you pray with me? Lord, we worship you today. Thank you that you sent your son into the world that we celebrate this time of year. That he has shown his light on us. I pray that we would submit ourselves to you so that you can shine brightly in our lives and we can then reflect your light to others so that they too can come and join us and revel in your glory and in your presence. Thank you for coming, Jesus. We don't deserve you. Thank you that you came. We praise you and pray in the name of our King Jesus.